Psalm 81, and I'll read the entire psalm. So now to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart, to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies, and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to Him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the great gift that you have given to us in your holy word that is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage of this psalm this morning, we ask, Father, that you would help us to see and understand the truth that is here, how we can apply it into our own hearts by the power of your Spirit, and that truly as your word goes forth, it would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. So we ask for your blessing now upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. What is your purpose for being here today? Why, why are you here and not somewhere else? Like out shopping or uh, playing on the athletic field or maybe eating at a local restaurant? What have you come here to do? Have you come to just socialize? Maybe you've come to just make someone else happy. Maybe you're here for the food. Maybe you're here to just put your time in for the week. Well, hopefully, you've come to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to set your hearts and your minds on Him, to give Him the glory and the honor that's due to Him and Him alone. This is precisely the reason that the Lord, through Asaph, 
here in Psalm 81, gives for why His people, those who are called by His name, ought to gather together and worship Him. In this psalm, we're reminded of the purpose and the duty we have in worshiping the Lord who's saved us and redeemed us by His abounding love and grace through Jesus Christ. Verse 1 and 2, the psalm begins, Sing aloud to God our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. I want you to note first that this is a charge or a a call to God's people to worship. There are four commands that are given in these two verses. The command to sing, the command to make a joyful shout, the command to raise, and the command to strike. And so the Lord is calling and He's charging His people to action, to sing and shout with their voices and raise up a song of praise while striking various instruments. But secondly, note that they're not to do this randomly or without purpose as if to create just a noisy, chaotic scene. No, the purpose is to worship the Lord, the God who is their strength, the Almighty One, the God who made a covenant with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Worship is simply giving praise, glory, and honor to one who is worthy to receive it. Well, God alone, who is the creator and sustainer of all things, who is perfect in holiness, goodness, righteousness, and truth, God alone, who is, as we'll see, our only redeemer and deliverer, God alone is to receive our worship. And here he calls his people to do this with singing and with shouts of praise. But thirdly, we see that this praise isn't to be a tedious obligation, but it is a duty that is filled with joy and gladness. And so the charges to sing and make a joyful shout emphasize this great truth. And so we see there's no room here for lifeless worship from somber and sour faces and voices that can be barely heard. No, our praise to God should be strong and robust and filled with great joy and gladness. We're to make a joyful noise to the Lord in praise. Now this doesn't mean that we turn our worship into a circus sideshow or a nightclub scene. Not at all. We must acknowledge that we are still approaching the most holy God, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. And so we must come to Him with with great humility and, and respect. But this God and creator, this holy God, also calls us to acknowledge that He is to be worshipped with joyful praise, the glorifying of His holy name. And so if Israel was able to do this under the imperfect sacrificial system with all its ceremonies, well then again, how much more so can we worship God in this way because of what He has done for us through Jesus Christ? 
Because it's in the fullness of Christ that we can sing with greater joy and even greater gladness in our hearts, even without the aid of instruments, because we have a greater, once for all, perfect sacrifice for our sins that has been made and that Jesus offered up for us. And so with greater joy, we are to praise the Lord. Now certainly worshiping God and giving glory to His name is something that we're called to do at all times throughout our lives. Continually offering up a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to His name. And that of course is true. We're to glorify God in all areas of our lives. And His praise ought to flow freely from from our hearts and our lips at any time. But we acknowledge that God has appointed particular times when all His people are to gather together and unite together in a chorus of praise and thanksgiving. And we see this appointment here in verse 3. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast days. And so we see here that at various times the Lord, and even as we uh, just read in, uh, in the book of Numbers, we see that the Lord has appointed particular times when His people are to gather together as a holy congregation and, and unite together in a chorus of praise and thanksgiving. And these even aside from the weekly Sabbath day. Now the occasion that's spoken of here in this psalm may have been the new moon festival, which marked uh, the beginning of each month. And then certainly given what follows, this may have also been one of the special seasons of celebration, which occurred in the seventh month, and then especially happened every seven years. And that month was marked not only by the annual celebration of the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles, But it was a special remembrance of the time of the exodus from Egypt. And it was a call for the people to hear and to learn God's law. Now whatever the occasion that this psalm is referring to, the point that we really should focus on is that it was a solemn time of worship which God himself had appointed. And this point is made clear in the language of verses 4 and 5. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony. And again, we have uh, similar terms used to describe this, and that repetition gives emphasis. Statute, law, testimony. That God has given this as as a divinely appointed ordinance. It's his appointed time. It's the time that he's appointed for worship. It's his testimony were his witness to his people. All Israel was called to worship God at the times that the Lord had appointed. Now today, in the new covenant era, as God's covenant people, the church, we no longer gather for worship at the time of the full moon or at the times of the other feasts and the festivals that God had appointed for Israel. And we don't do that because all that those holy days in the Old Testament, all that they pointed forward to, has now come to, uh, has now been made complete and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we don't celebrate the Passover. We don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. 
They were the shadows of things that we now enjoy in Christ Jesus. But even though we don't gather for worship on those days, we are still called to observe as holy the day that God has set aside for us as a day of rest and worship. Westminster Larger Catechism, question 116, says this, The fourth commandment requires of all men the sanctifying or keeping holy to God such set times as He has appointed in His Word, expressly one whole day in seven, which was the seventh from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ and the first day of the week ever since, and so to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath, and in the New Testament called the Lord's Day. And that is today. Like the Lord's Day is the Christian's holy day. One day each week in which God calls His covenant people to gather together and to joyfully sing praise to His glorious name. One day set aside to particularly celebrate and remember all that God the Lord has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so this then becomes the key reason for our praise and worship of God on the day that He has called us to worship Him. We're here chiefly to praise God and to give thanks as we remember what He's done for us. This is why... Many commentators believe this psalm was written to celebrate and worship God around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month. Because it was at that time that the people were called to remember how the Lord delivered them from the land of Egypt. And how He cared for them throughout their wilderness wandering. And this is expressly noted here in verse 5. This time of worship was appointed when He, the Lord, went throughout the land of Egypt where I heard a language I did not understand. Now this verse is somewhat difficult because midstream, if you note carefully here, there's a shift in language from the third person to the first person. In fact, the rest of the psalm, except for verse 15 and the first part of verse 16, is the Lord speaking directly to His people in the first person. That He's declaring to them what He has done and what He will do. Well, here in verse 5, it's clear that the time the people are called to remember is when the Lord delivered them from Egypt. And the transition to the first person and to the and also the mention of unknown language or strange language serves to emphasize the plight of God's people in Egypt. They were swallowed up in a foreign land where they couldn't freely worship Him and, and call upon His name because those around them were strangers to their God. And yet the Lord heard the cries of His people. He heard their cries for help and He came to deliver them in this foreign land. In verse 6 and 7, the Lord calls to the remembrance what He did for them. He says, I removed His shoulder from the burden. His, here in this context, is speaking of Israel. 
I removed his shoulder from the burdens. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. So the Lord is very specific about what He delivered them from. From the burden and the toil of slavery. In Egypt, the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh. Like pack mules, they carried the heavy weight of of stones and bricks to build up the cities of Egypt. And with their own hands, calloused and sore, they made baskets and other items for the daily use of the Egyptians. That the Lord had not been with them and delivered them, well, they would have certainly perished in bondage. They were weak, and they were powerless to save themselves. And so it was the Lord who heard their cries and delivered them. And then he makes this very clear. I removed his shoulder from the burden. I answered you. I tested you. So that their salvation, it's clear that their salvation and deliverance from Egypt was all the Lord's doing. By His grace and mercy, He stepped in and He saved them. In His compassion, He heard their cry and answered their prayer, revealing Himself to them in that thunderous glory cloud, which then led them out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea and then all through that wilderness wandering. And then the comment of the Lord attested you at the waters of Meribah. It's quite remarkable. This refers to a time in the wilderness when the people rebelled against the Lord and they grumbled against Moses. And in Exodus 17, it's recorded that the people <clears throat> put the Lord to the test. And they said, is the Lord among us or not? As they were complaining about not having water to drink. And yet it was God who put them to the test to test their faith. And they failed. And yet still, even though they failed the test, God in His abounding grace and mercy provided water for them. And He continued to to bless and to establish them. Though they didn't deserve it, God graciously continued to save and deliver His people. This is what God would have them remember during this time of worship. Well, brothers and sisters, this is what we ought to remember. When we come to worship the Lord with joy and gladness at the time that He is appointed for us, we ought to remember the great salvation that God has secured for us through Jesus Christ. We ought to remember how we were held under the heavy burden of sin and how we were held in the grips of the devil and used as his slaves. How we in our sin and our misery could do nothing to save ourselves. But God, God who is rich in grace and mercy and compassion, He considered our plight and He rescued us. He delivered us and redeemed us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Israelites were rescued from human taskmasters and and from physical chains and burdens. But in Christ Jesus, 
We've been rescued from Satan's grip and from the bondage of sin and death. Now, if God called Israel to praise His name, seeing how much more so does He then call us to praise and glorify His name, seeing how our deliverance and how our salvation is so much greater. Let us remember this salvation we enjoy as we gather together in worship each week and give praise to our great God and Redeemer for what He has done for us. Especially acknowledging that we did not deserve any of it. But what we do here on the Lord's Day in worship is not just a one-way street. That is, our time of worship doesn't just involve us giving praise and thanks to God for what He's done for us. No, it also involves a dialogue, a conversation, a holy conversation. In our prayers and in our praise to God, we give joyful worship to the Lord. But during this time, we're also called to listen to Him as He speaks to us by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word, when it's read and proclaimed and sung. Verse 8, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. So the Lord not only desires that His people praise His name and worship Him as they remember what He's done for them, but He calls them to listen to Him, to hear what He has to say, so that He might teach and instruct and how they ought to live. This was the purpose of that special feast that occurred in the seventh month every seven years. It was a time of covenant renewal. For the people to remember that the Lord is their God and that they are His people whom He has redeemed for Himself. We find the description of this in in Deuteronomy 31, verse 10. At the end of every seven years... At the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, And carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. And so all those in the covenant community were to assemble together and hear the law proclaimed. So that they might be guided and instructed by it. They come together to worship and celebrate the redemption that God secured for them, but they also gather so that they might continue to learn from the Lord. Beloved of God, again, this is why we gather together as well. Each week we come together, united together in a common faith in Jesus Christ. And we give praise to God and we worship Him as we remember all that He has done for us. But we also must listen. We must listen to what the Lord would say to us. 
We listen to the Word of God read and preached so that the Spirit of God might go forth with it and and impart its truth into our, our hearts so that we might learn more about God, might learn more about Christ and about the glorious salvation that we have in Him. That even our singing, when we sing God's Word, we instruct and admonish one another, even as the Apostle Paul charges in Colossians 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So that our singing isn't only giving praise to God, but it's also being used by the Spirit of God to build up and to encourage those in the congregation around us. To such instruction and admonishment, we're called to listen. So when we're singing, when we're singing the Psalms, when we're singing God's Word, listen to the singing of those around you. Not to the tone, but listen to the words. Because it's the Word of God that we are to be admonished by. But just as the Apostle James would warn that we must not be hearers only, but also doers of God's Word, the Lord expresses here in Psalm 81 that we're to listen to what He instructs us so that we might better follow and obey His commands. Now, this is the implication of listening to God's law and, and learning it is so that we might actually obey it. Verse 9, There shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. Now this is the, the first and the great commandment is mentioned here as a representative of the whole. That God the Lord is alone to be their God. He only is the one they should praise and worship. He alone is the one they should listen to and obey. Not the the gods of the other nations, but they listen to the Lord, their God alone. And to reinforce this, in fact, in verse 10, uses the same words that are used in Exodus 20 at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. The Lord sets forth the reason His people must listen to Him and obey Him. is because He's the one who redeemed them and purchased their deliverance. They're indebted to Him and they owe Him their allegiance. There's no other God who has delivered them but the Lord alone. It wasn't, it wasn't Baal, it wasn't Moloch, it wasn't um, the Asherim. But God alone, the Lord God The God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He was the one who delivered them. They are to listen to Him and to obey Him alone. But remember that our deliverance and the salvation purchased for us, again, was so much greater than what God did for Israel. It was greater because it wasn't by the blood of lambs, bulls, or goats that we were saved or by which our redemption was purchased. It was by the very precious blood of God's own beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That by His stripes and by His shed blood were healed and saved. 
And so our salvation being so much better, so too the expectation that those who enjoy that salvation by God's grace through faith, we owe Him our supreme allegiance. We're to have no other God, no other Redeemer, no other Savior or Mediator, but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is our King. And we mustn't only praise and worship Him, but we must listen to and obey Him as we strive to live our lives for His glory, honor, and praise. For this reason, Jesus redeemed us that we might forever bring glory to His name. Not only in our time of worship together each week, but also as we live our lives each and every day outside these walls. Our obedience to Christ doesn't stop with just what we do in here, but we must also be obedient to Him out there in the world. When listening to and obeying the Lord, there's a rich blessing as we see at the end of verse 10. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. The Lord here is reassuring His people of of the covenant promise that He made to them. That if they would remember Him, they would remember what He's done for Him, if they would hear Him and, and obey His commands, He'd provide and care for them. And He'd fill and He'd satisfy their needs. He'd richly and abundantly bless them beyond what they could even possibly imagine. Again, what a great reason and purpose we have than to come and worship the Lord. What rich incentive we have to praise the Lord with resounding joy as we remember all that He's done for us, as we listen to His Word, and as we obey His commands, devoting not only uh, this one day in seven, but every moment of every day to the pursuit of His glory. And the blessing He fills us with through Jesus Christ go far beyond what we could need and ask for in this life. Because they extend on into eternity in His glorious presence. Friends, there's a great warning. For though the Lord did all these great things for the people of Israel, delivering them from the bondage of slavery, and providing for them and even blessing them in great abundance. They didn't listen to Him. And they didn't obey His law. In verse 11, But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. They followed after other gods. They defiled His worship and they called upon idols formed by the hands of men. They didn't praise the name of the Lord. They forgot His great works and how He delivered them with a mighty hand. They hardened their hearts and they refused to listen to Him. And so, as if to say to them, well, if that's the way you want it, then so be it. In verse 12, He says, He gave them over to their own stubborn heart. To walk in their own counsels. In other words, he removed his hand of favor 
And He allowed them to pursue their idols and their immorality. And He permitted them to fill themselves with sin. And ultimately, this pursuit of sin would become His great judgment upon them. As their enemies would then surround them and attack them and would subdue them once again and take them into bondage and captivity. Beloved of God, this warning stands for us, for the church even today. And sadly, you don't have to look too far to see that it's already happening. There are many uh, churches and denominations that were once faithful in listening to and, and obeying the Lord, and yet they've forgotten Him. They've stopped listening to Him and have refused to obey His law. And instead, they've now distorted His gospel. They've taken the Lord's name in vain, and they celebrate even lawlessness and immorality and the most wicked of sins. Because they've turned away from Him and hardened their hearts, God's given them over to depravity and sin. And this has now become their judgment upon them. And yet, even still, as we see with Israel, though Israel has abandoned God and He's turned them over to a just judgment that they truly deserved, the Lord remains rich in compassion and abounding in grace and mercy. Verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. You see, if they would, even at this late hour, if they would turn from their sin and repent, if they would seek His grace and mercy for forgiveness, if they would humble themselves so, He would hear their prayer. And He would rise up and lift His mighty hand against their enemies. And He would once again deliver them and and pour out His righteous judgment upon those who hate Him. A judgment that will be forever. And so it is for us as well, brothers and sisters. If your heart is far from God, if you've turned from Him and have come here today to simply go through the motions and make an appearance and and just fill a seat, there's still yet hope for you. If you're trapped in, in sin and have hardened your heart to listen and obey the Word of God, there is still yet hope for you. If you would even now listen to Him, if you would humble yourself to hear His voice and no longer harden your hearts as Israel did in the time of their rebellion, if you would listen to Him, to our Lord and our gracious God, and if you would call upon His name in faith and and lift up a shout of praise to the Lord, giving thanks for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, which He secured when He suffered and died on the cross. If you would do this, then He will hear you and He will rescue you and deliver you and forgive you. So rejoice 
and give thanks then for this salvation and the deliverance that we have from Satan's sin and death that you enjoy in Jesus Christ. Listen and obey His commands out of gratitude for what He has done for you. And know that He will be faithful to His promise to fill you and to satisfy you to overflowing with many good and blessed gifts, as He says in verse 16, that with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, He will fill you. That rock is a picture of the abounding riches that we have in Jesus Christ, who is our rock and who is our Redeemer. He is the rock of our salvation. He is our Savior and our King. We humble ourselves to worship and to listen and to obey to His Word. And His Word. He will fill us with all these rich blessings through Jesus Christ. And so, beloved of God, worship Him. Praise the glorious name of the Lord. Listen to Him and obey Him. For this is our great duty in worship to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for Your instruction to us and the reminder of why we are here today and what we're doing here at this time to worship You to remember all the great and wonderful things that You've done for us. Even when we were undeserving, Christ Jesus died for us to save us, to deliver us, to forgive us of our sins. And so we pray, Lord, that You would help us to listen, to listen to Your Word as it's been proclaimed and read and as we sing Your Word. And that by the power of Your Spirit, You would apply it to our hearts that we might obey it. So that we might be true and faithful witnesses for your glory as we go about our daily lives. Standing up as beacons of light and hope in our community. Because our community needs such a gospel witness. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased through that humble witness to draw many to Yourself. That they too would join with us in this praise and worship, seeking to commit themselves to serving and worshiping and glorifying Your name in all that we do. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would impress these truths upon all our hearts, drawing us all closer to Yourself, that we might truly glorify Your name. And it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.